shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit Welcome show. back to Shit Show Saturday. And today we are joined by a shit show that has just been granted his nickname. Uh, his name is Joshua, but he will forever be known now as the youngster because he was just reading a, what was that, from a psychiatrist? Psychiatric evaluation. A psychiatric evaluation from when he was six years old. And I think I counted youngster used four <laughs> times. At least. Welcome. Thank you. Youngster. Thanks for <laughs> so what song do you want played when you walk into a room? I was actually listening to a couple of um, episodes before and I was like, oh, I should think about this. And then I never fucking thought about it. Um, oh, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Yes, wonderful. Um, Okay, so what about your favorite carbohydrate? Favorite carbohydrate would... um, Oh, it's got to be pasta. Mm -hmm. um, What kind? I was was thinking about this earlier, too. Um, Have you ever been to Italy in New York? Okay, so I, I actually worked at Italy for quite some time. Mm. And, um, I worked in the uh, the fine dining restaurant there, and they made this pappardelle bolognese. That I don't think actually that wasn't even the best. That was pretty good, but the um, there was like this pappardelle with like a pork ragu. It was just like shredded mm. pieces of like braised pork with like cabbage and then like grated parmigiano on top. Oh my god! It's just like ribbons of heaven, mm. and or also alternatively. Um, Lasagna bolognese, which is just lasagna with bechamel sauce and layers mm-hmm. of sauce, just the absolute best. But like this thinnest layer, so it's just like, just like you know, I don't know, fifteen, twenty layers of pasta yes. smashed between bechamel cheese and, and yes, goodness. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, that's like on. That's like all I have to do. Like while I'm back here in San Francisco for a month, is like I have to get all my fucking food in. So yes, yes there's this one restaurant called Catonia, and unfortunately, it wasn't here this summer when so every summer they have this it's called like a corn trangolini so it's kind of like a it's like a triangle shaped kind of like ravioli Mm -hmm. with like the most delicious like sweet corn and ricotta filling you will smile when you put it in your mouth and one time actually i was there and i just started talking to these this father and son that was next to me as i do and um they're from out of town and I was like, did you order this corn? And they were like, no. And so when it came out, I was like, I gave them one. I was like, you have to try this. And then at the end, they had they left before us. And then at the end of the dinner, when we asked for the check, um, the waitress was like, they paid for your dinner. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe you are a really old woman. I am. <laughs> Here, have some of this food on my plate. You must. I am. I, I listen to people's conversations at the table next to me. And then I will like, I'll butt in. I'll tell them what to order. So I'm that gal. When I dined by myself, especially when I was working in Manhattan, it was like, and I was, this was before I was sober, but you know, like for me, like my happy place was to find myself dining alone somewhere where I knew the menu was going to blow me away. And I was just like having a new experience and I'd sit down and just, you know, eat, or I'd go back to this one place that I'd go regularly and have, you know, a few of the same things but oh what an amazing to, to me like there are so few experiences better than just like 
being fully present to what's in front of me and enjoying the meal. Um, when dining, I sit dine by myself. Like I love the dining with people. That's great. But like to really fully get it to like not be distracted by anything, but just the experience. I, I love that being alone. Well, I would love to fuck a meal up with you. Let's make yeah. it happen one day. <laughs> let's, let's fuck up some pasta. Um, okay, cheese. Mm. Mozzarella, easily. Fresh mozzarella, no question. Nothing is That's simple and fresh and delicious. You're clearly Italian. Very, yes, from Jersey. So condiment. Mustard, yellow mustard, specifically. Um, Plockman's yellow mustard. Are you avoidant attacher? Me? Mm-hmm. No. No. Okay. No. Yeah. I'd say a very anxious attachment style. Okay. Cause I just feel like my hypothesis is like mustard would be like a, an avoidant <laughs> attachment answer. So that's so funny. <laughs> no, no, that's been my research thus far is like, that's where it's leaned. So, Oh no, I'm super anxious. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's not an anxious, the real hypothesis is like that avoidance don't really dig condiments that much. Like They'll oh, maybe fuck with a little mustard, but the no. anxious attachers love their fucking condiments. So does that ring true for you? I am the condiment queen of the universe. Yes. Okay. I have, I'll have like five jars of pickles and three different bottles of the same mustard open in the fridge at the same time and everything else. Okay. So my, my theory proves true. Was drinking balsamic vinegar from the bottle when nobody was looking and all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, I love... Yeah. Plus, I think the I mean the balance of acid in food, the balance of like mm-hmm. all the big part of that for me, I think too is it must have there must be balance. Okay, so how did you find out that you were an adult child? When did you hear that? When did you first hear the term? I uncovered an ACOA book, a little old red book about this big that my mother had. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was a psych nurse, and then um, you know, so she taken a lot of psych patients to many 12-step groups. Uh, she also worked a program in OA um, at some point, and I know went to ACLB meetings at some point. Mm. Um, so I discovered it, I guess, there, like the term itself. How old were you? I was probably a teenager or like nearing my, you know, adulthood um, when I had first seen it, I guess. Uh-huh. And when did you realize that you were one? Um, my sister was on vacation, um, and maybe she had just come back from vacation. And I remember getting a call from her and I was in the basement of the house I was living in at the time. And I think I was 18, maybe. I remember her saying that she was there and, um, you know, my father was acting in such a way and she'd like taken his bottle of pills and been like, you know, dad, it's me or the drugs. Like choose. And he like grabbed the meds from her hand and swallowed a handful of oxys and, you know, thus ensued the hilarity of, you know, understanding what was really, I guess, at work. Because I'd always known that my father was a miserable person, right? My concept was that he was just a miserable, abusive human being, and this is just who he was, right? I never understood that there was a sickness to it that was at play mm-hmm. uh, that was, that you know, we, we both know, right, is, is part of the bigger picture. So it took, I guess it took, you know, I guess that, that was the first, like, turning point. And then I used that as an excuse to do lots of fun things. You know, I like dared myself that I would never end up that fucked up, you know, dared myself that I, I must be different. Mm. Um, and then started, you know, using all drugs in college and getting real crazy and, you know, pushing my own um, limitations with no regard for what could or would happen. And it wasn't until I had found out that I had had Crohn's disease and I was 
hospitalized over and over again um, with uh, a need to be medicated that I was introduced to um, opiates, morphine, and Dilaudid. I mean, I was thrown, I mean, they threw a really heavy amount of drugs at me um, the first time I'd ever been introduced to what would become my, you know, my other choice. Yeah. So you just shared with me that you have um, a little of three and a half years sober. Mm-hmm. So did you hit an adult child bottom in sobriety? Can you elaborate? So I, I, I listened to that a few a few times, but I, I don't know what you mean by that. Did you hit a point where you were in a shitload of pain where you're like, I have to fucking address this shit? Oh, okay. You just mean, so did I? Yes, absolutely. Um, I 100% hit, a, hit my bottom. Um, but I did not hit it um, in active addiction. I hit it in... Um, Sobriety. So, yeah. If you, if you can call it that. Um, okay. Yeah. And I was living with um, a partner at the time who then moved out like just about a month and a half after I got out of um, rehab. And um, I was an absolute monster to him. Um, and so having him removed from the picture, right, I got to start going to meetings and I was just living on my own and finally being alone and chasing my own recovery, right? Like a little bit at a time, finding independence. I moved into my own place. Um, and then, you know, I got some time and um, a little bit of a taste of the solution and thought, oh, well, you know, like maybe we could make this work, me and this, me and this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it can work out. And I invited him um, back, you know, to, to move in with me and he agreed and you know, we both um, decided we'd give it a shot. And then it was a nightmare um, for the both of us, you know. And I was probably worse than I was when I was using, because I was feeling everything. So I was more angry, I was more miserable, mm-hmm. I was more, um, you know, full of rage. Um, sex was used as a weapon um, against me because I'm hypersexual, um, right? Uh, the, the excessive use of condiments, all things being as you know large as I am mm-hmm. everything is everything is in in excess um so like there was a point like at the time that he was living here I would go to the supermarket across the street to masturbate in the bathroom because it was the only place I could get off without being told that I was gonna have it like used mm-hmm. as a weapon, like against me right mm-hmm. and so then I would come back and you know just spout all of the most awful you know, vitriolic things I could think of about, well, why am I doing this? And this is all your fault. And who are you? Cool. So he moved out because I basically chased him away. Right. And then I'm wondering why he's gone. And then I'm um, stalking him um, on the phone and I like catfished the person he was staying with because, you know, I like went totally and totally nuts and then started leaving hateful comments on his Tumblr. And, um, wow. How did the catfishing go? I need to hear this story. <laughs> I just made amends to the person whose photos I used two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> who's, who's a pretty big part of my network. Um, so the catfishing basically went, I had a friend that dropped this person off um, at this guy's house. And um, I said... What do you uh, mean dropped? Oh. So a friend of ours drove him to, to the person's home. Okay, so you knew where he was. Right, he was staying with like an ex or something like that. Okay. Um, and so then I, you know, I got this uh, ex's um, information um, and then pursued finding him on um, a, a gay chat application. And I was like, you know, it 
is probably this person based on the way they looked and based on what I obviously knew about the guy that I was dating and what what could this person, who could this person be based on what I know? And it turned out it was that person. And so I got his number and started chatting with the other guy, right, all this time until I, like, had a window in to mm. communicate with my ex. And then I was, like, got him on the phone. And then I told him that our dog was dying. So I needed to talk to him right away. And then mm. he said more hateful shit. So for anybody who doesn't know what catfishing is, because there's probably some people who don't, it's basically where you create, like, a fake dating pro- profile where you use other people's pictures and create a fake persona right so the person whose photos i used is somebody i know because i was like well there was one particular photo of him like playing video games and i was like this is the one i was like this is the one that'll get his attention um and and it sure worked and did he know did he end up finding out or when you made amends you were telling him this information for the first time i was telling him this information he's since said you know um you know i'm not gonna make fun of you until you decide to laugh about it um so here we are laughing about it Um, so it's fair game, uh, Dan, um, if you hear this. Yeah, so then from there, kind of, you know, I guess there was a threat of, um, legal action, and I, so I was just like, okay, really, let's just chill the fuck out, Josh, right? Like, stop being such a crazy person. So I calmed down, got distracted by, you know, several other people, and ended up in a relationship again, uh, which turned out to be the best relationship I'd ever been in at that point, at least, right? During That's the not saying much, probably. <laughs> not at all, right? I was honeymooning with, uh, you know, this guy throughout the pandemic who was a wonderful human and, you know, also was just very young and had much to learn and grow far away from me. And then when he ended things, I thought I was going to die, right? Because mm-hmm. I finally had you know, this person that became my higher power, my sobriety now that I'm not using. And what am I going to do now? Because it's gone. And that was just about a year and a half ago, maybe less than a year and a half ago. Um, And that's what led me to, you know, having the conversation with my sponsor that I now uh, work with to start working with them and to start finding a solution for what I at least knew I was in pain. And I knew um, that there was a solution. I didn't believe um, that it could help to, you know, turn my life around. I couldn't tell you even for a second that I'd be sitting where I am right now, you know, at this point in my in my life, a year later with uh, with a job. I just started my own business with my mom. Um, I live with a, a friend of mine who is absolutely incredible and I have an incredible support system in my life now, right, like regularly um, with a man who I have no sexual relationship with, right? Is the one that I mentioned on the um in the 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 group chat that he he was humming the um humming the theme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's his name? Uh, his name is Emmanuel. Hi, Emmanuel. You know, I have this very sort of what feels like almost a normal life now. You mm-hmm. know, and I couldn't even a year ago, not having been using drugs, believe believe that that was possible. Uh, I know it is so fucking painful. Yeah. It is the worst feeling in the whole world. <laughs> Way worse than getting sober, in my opinion. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I remember people being like, oh, you know, get your work done, like, get through the steps, get a sponsor, and make it all happen. And I'm like, I'll never, I'm leaving, leaving rehab, and I'm like, I'll never take that long to get my fourth step done. And it took three years. Literally didn't do a fifth step till after the third year. Right, like here I am. Like, oh, here I am, the guy I swore I'd never be. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. Right, everything happened as it was meant to, and like, you know, I know that 
I know nothing, <laughs> you know, that much I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that like, if I just keep, you know, at this, you know, seeking higher power, that things will keep turning into, you know, something a little bit better than it looked like the day before. My, my sponsor's favorite thing um, that, that she often says is, um, it never looks the way that we think it's going to look. And um, that's been probably one of the most true parts of my entire recovery is that I think something's going to happen. And I know that I'm going to have this experience with these people, but what that experience looks like, what it has led me to, um, who I get to be on the other side of that is is a miracle, which I'm, I'm certainly extremely grateful for that. Let's talk about your childhood. Mm-hmm. Give me the five minute version. So my parents were married uh, for, I don't know, I think about a decade. And were divorced when I was one. Uh, my father was remarried. My earliest memory, one of my earliest memories was my father's wedding. I don't remember much of my father being, my stepmother would often say, there was a point in time where your father was a loving, tender parent. Mm. But I don't remember that. So to me, that was never a valuable. The puzzle. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's awesome. Thanks. So glad I was there. You know, like, but like I, my consciousness was not there. I'd never... And I never knew that that was a thing. So all I remember is, you know, him being um, violent, uh, angry, emotionally and verbally abusive. You know, a few of those like big touchstones that were things that I guess I used to keep me sick for a long time was uh, you're going to be a bitch just like your mother when I was like six, swinging a baseball bat at my face at the dinner table with all my family around me, right? Being absolutely mortified and embarrassed of who it was, kicking me off the t-ball team because I missed a few practices when he was the coach. Um, so he stayed coaching other boys, but didn't. Um, keep me uh, on the team, right? Um, all of those things sort of amounting eventually to, you know, the way I socially isolated myself, othered myself from people, you know, coming to terms with knowing I was gay. I didn't know I was gay probably since I was like five years old, um, watching wrestling, like I knew, knew early, you know? And I guess that was what I used to, you know, propel me uh, into the rest of my life was those sort of big moments. I had a mother who was loving and caring to a fault, um, mm-hmm. You know, she always put us above our needs, above hers. You know, I think so much so that it has caused harm to herself, right? Like being so loving and so available. So I guess, you know, that whole, uh, the the mix of boundaries, right? I mean, I certainly have. Enmeshment, yeah. Places where there is enmeshment and places where there is detachment. Although I would say I'm more more enmeshed, you know, often in most relationships than I am not. Um, especially with men, with men, I become really rigid. If I'm not sleeping with you, then you are standing a hundred feet away from me until I decide otherwise. And, you know, it's taken a lot of time, I guess, to get to that point where that has changed. Um, I, my recovery has helped to create that change, you know, being around men who I can trust, you know, creating that trust and fellowship has helped to change that. What role did you play? I was the scapegoat at my father's house, but at my mother's house, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I was definitely the favorite, I think. The golden child, I guess. Right. I think it was that. I couldn't really do anything wrong. When you look at the laundry list, what trait do you feel like has caused you the most harm? Um, Well, let me look at it right now. So I'd say first, um, as 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 a very young child, I would say that trait six, we have an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Easier for us to be concerned with ourselves. This enables us to not look too closely at our own faults. Oh, hi. Yes. Um, so like when I lived with my mother, so my, my, my back to my childhood quickly. So my, my mother retained, or eventually retained custody of me from my father when I was 
eight in a, in a court hearing the year before that custody hearing, there was a day where I'd gone to school with like no coat on um, mm-hmm. because I was thrown out of the house because I couldn't get my shit together fast enough. And then I walked to school in the snow without a coat on. Right. And I was like seven and it was 12 degrees outside. And, you know, so then I was living with my mother who was a single parent and doing lots of things, always making dinner, always taking care of myself, staying home alone, being too afraid to bring heavy things to her because I didn't want to put more on her plate because I saw how much she was shouldering. So I think that for me, it looked a lot like that, right? Always doing everything, never asking for help. I always remember my stepmother saying, hey, you know, you can ask for help. If you need help, don't be afraid to ask for help. We're always here for you. And I heard that and it would be in one ear and out the other. What do you mean ask for help? And even now still, it is very hard for me to ask for help. You know, I'm finding that like right now my room is a disaster, right? But the quickest way to fix that I know is to say, hey friend, can you come and body double for me and just like sit in the room and do nothing other than be here? And like, you know, that is, takes an hour for me to turn that around. But being willing to not be afraid to welcome somebody into my dysfunction and say, hey, like, can you come sit with me in this? you know, um, and just help me out. And I've started becoming more willing to ask anyone because there's less shame. I just have less shame around it. The more I've, the bigger my God's gotten. So now I know why you have like the fuzzy background. Yes. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's a disaster. I've been like sick all day and everything's just all over the place. I woke up with an ear infection today, which is miserable. So I just like laid around doing nothing all day. So the bed looks wild. Mm. Um, but so then, yeah, 12, I definitely say eventually, like, in my relationships is really the biggest, the biggest thing there, right? And even with, you know, I think Kristen and I became such close friends, right, for that same reason. Like, we both were super dependent upon each other um, in the pandemic, living in the same block, being in the same space, being in the same circle. And I became hyper-dependent upon this, you know, sort of mothering, friendly figure who was working two jobs and super supportive and would do anything for me and drop anything for me and always be here and you know it, there was some discomfort in her having to draw boundaries and me having mm-hmm. to find respect um and demonstrate you know a matter of integrity and, and and care for a person in our relationships and mm-hmm. you know find find those principles and that balance mm-hmm. um as i've gotten better but that took a lot of a lot of discomfort there were a lot of moments that just like felt like the sky was falling because somebody chosen to set a boundary with me that I couldn't possibly imagine was there it was loud and we had a lot of like really loud like violent aggressive moments but it was also having a relationship like that and seeing what it did to a person to do those things and to say the things I said but then also be met with forgiveness Mm. but then feel how it must have felt as a person that I love that I wasn't sleeping with that wasn't family that was just kept choosing me, you know, but who got to go home at the end of the day. Oh, this is what this can look like if you're not doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And the fear that I had to lose our friendship is one of those things that I think really pushed me to start doing more work. work. I was so scared that like, if I was afraid to be outgrown, you know, I'd had a very loving relationship with somebody who was choosing me. And to be left behind, right? To be like left behind would, would be, I mean, painful, right? And now I can accept that. I can see that if we outgrow people, we outgrow people, right? That's just the way it is. I'm, there's something I can learn from whatever that situation looks like. But it really like was a, a point of pain that, that certainly got me to start taking some action. Mm-hmm. 
do you have a relationship with your dad now? I do not. Um, I, I don't, I haven't spoken to him in probably four or five years at least. Uh-huh. There's not much left to him either. He's, uh, I always often describe him as like the love child of like um, Ozzy Osbourne and Keith Richards. There's just like <laughs> 50 words that run in a loop. He's in, um, pretty well developed in dementia at this point, but even even you know like five to six years ago, this was very little. The last time I called him, uh, he just kept referring to me by my brother's name. He didn't really know my name. Um, I do think there are things I can do to take action to make indirect amends, but there's not really a person there for me to even develop a relationship with. At this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that makes it easier? Um, which part? I don't know. Like the pressure's not there. Hmm. What made it easier was realizing that we were the same, right? Mm-hmm. Was realizing that I am him and he is me, right? That um, Jerry is perhaps spiritually sick, just like me. Please help me to show him same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, realizing that he's perhaps spiritually sick, just like me, that just like me helped me to make, make it easier. That's when it became easier to start putting it down, you know, seeing that I am also sick. And if I can forgive this person, then I can forgive myself. Um, you know, and, and it takes constant, I think, like redirecting of forgive you again and again and again. I don't feel like we, just like I don't think that our character defects are just removed in a second. I don't think the forgiveness happens in a second, right? It's a constant, it's sometimes a constant action until we're in a place of, outright acceptance where it becomes simple you know because then there might be things like this this boy's life with the mustard jar when he's scraping out the mustard jar and he <laughs> throws it away and Robert De Niro rips it out of the ground and starts beating the shit out of Caprio right in that scene like mm-hmm. uh, if I watch that I'm like all of a sudden I'm seven years old right but that's just a hyper graphic you know reminder not necessarily what the real life looks like so I mean in moments like that I have to you know, remind myself that I'm okay and that mm-hmm. he's just like me, you know, but I think being just like him might make it easier for me than perhaps it is for my siblings. I don't know if it's so simple for them. And I am grateful for the fact that I have this experience that makes space for me to let this go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While I, while I wasn't the oldest and I wasn't the last, um, my abuse was the worst in my experience, you know, uh, physically, um and was documented as such so to be able to let that go and to find use for it is really cool so have you been taking a break from dating yeah yeah i um i so i I recently started like i guess trying right i so i um i find of course i have lots of you know body image issues i've always been the gay boy and I've always been the fat boy right and while I wasn't like I wasn't out until I was 18 you know I just knew like I would be in the locker room and standing like in front of my locker like this with tunnel vision so I didn't look around the room because I didn't want you to clock me for being a faggot because I'm staring at you right like that was my first that was that was how I'd always be hiding you know and so now like I'm like hiding over here because I don't want to cl- you know you clock me <laughs> what I look like right like I look like this even though I'm gay like it's fine that I'm gay but I still look like this and you know i do face a lot of discrimination being obese and um, being homosexual and you know mm. we're not really uh we, we stand on the outside of the community in a lot of ways um mm. it's and we're over fetishized right like i'm fetishized because i have a beard and i'm fat and i'm in my 30s so i'm automatically daddy or whatever it is right i'm automatically perceived as being the active partner when in fact i'm just a 
big old bottom who wants to be spooned, right? Like, I mean, all of these things like are just, I'm constantly having to deal with that and look at that. And so in my Tinder profile recently, I put like a picture of myself with no shirt on and like was like fully like sold on myself. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this here. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And um, who knew people that I never thought that I would be, that would be looking at me, right? Because of what I perceive about other people are like paying me attention. I still don't think that I'm ready to dive into a relationship just based on all of that, saying that out loud, right? But the little bit of access to like taking a closer look or, or to be able to feel more free, even in my own skin, um, to find, I guess, forgiveness for myself for being different, for not being this perfect picture of pristine homosexuality, right, is has been a little bit of what's come from that. I personally would much rather have a guy with your physique than a guy with The Rock's physique. Just saying. <laughs> the Rock is a little too far. Yeah, um, I know. No, I know, but I just like, I, I don't know. My thing is like, whenever I see a guy that's like really, 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 really in shape, I'm like, what are you overcompensating for? And why do you have so much time to be in the gym? <laughs> yeah, you know, so my roommate is in really incredible shape. As they've recently been going through a breakup and also a whole phase, I have been faced with all of these beautiful men coming in and out of my apartment whom I don't know and constantly judging myself against what mm. these other people mm-hmm. look like and comparing myself and saying, well, I couldn't get this and I'll never look this. It was already hard enough that I was living with this pretty person that's here all the time, right? Like I can't get rid of, but now I'm facing this. Mm. And I actually brought this to his attention. I was like, yo, like I'm really struggling with this because of these reasons. I was like, but it took, and it took a couple of weeks for me to even get to the conclusion that like, I was bothered by him having people here, not because there were people here, because of what I was telling myself I was because of those people here, you know? So am I ready to date? Fucking absolutely not. (laughs) No shit. I love it. I love it. Um, So tell me three things that you like about yourself. What do I like about myself? Um, Your, your rock bod. My rock bot. I, I mean, I do have a fat ass and I am blessed with such a disproportionately large, beautiful booty. Um, so check one, <laughs> check one in the column on that. Um, I think I have a great deal of, um, of empathy um, for others. And, and, I, and I do love that um, while to a fault, sometimes I find myself trying, seeking to understand other people or making space. Um, for people that sometimes I probably don't have the space for, um, you know, as I've grown to, um, to grow my spiritual, like, walk, you know, I've made the right space for that. But I think that's one of those things. Um, and I just really love that I have an eagerness to educate myself um, and to learn. I'm like always, uh, I'm like ready to be a student at all times. You put me in a room with a new experience, you know, and I'm there with a pen and a notebook, like taking notes because... I want to absorb as much as I can from a situation. And while some people might think that like, you know, especially find myself in the rooms where people are like, are you really taking notes? Like, do you have that many questions? Do we really need to talk about this? But like, to me, I'm like, yes, we do. I want to know more. Like, I need to know. know. Okay. Last question. Hope or dream for your future? It's a great question. Lasagna bolognese? (laughs) That one's too simple. Um, I think I always dreamed of like um, becoming a firefighter. What was the other thing in there? You wanted to be a wrestler or a firefighter? 
So the you know a, a dream a hope right now for the immediate future is to end up at WrestleMania 40. Um, that's a hope, a, a dream perhaps would be to have backstage passes and meet Shawn Michaels. Hey, heartbreak kid, if you're listening to this, I'm sure it. I'm sure he is. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> He's a good like over a decade sober. Maybe he is. Who knows? What's his name? Shawn Michaels. What's his? Does he have a wrestler name? Yeah, Shawn Michaels. That's his, that's his wrestling name. Um, oh, what the hell? That's boring. His like his like nickname was the was the the Heartbreak Kid. Yeah. The Heartbreak Kid. Okay. So there are people out there who still like this shit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, do you have another like a, a like a more meaningful one? Um. Yeah, for certain. Um, I would say. Uh, not that I'm not trying to downplay your your no, no, no. dreams. You know. Not at all. Not at all. It's, uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly not the same. Um, you know, I, I think I really would hope that um, I can be a parent at some point. Mm-hmm. I think there was a period of time where, you know, especially as things got pretty dark and in sobriety, I just denied the absolute possibility of ever being a parent because I'm like, I'm just so fucking sick; it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, at Kristen's. Uh, birthday party 40th um birthday that just passed recently um our friend had just had a child and i was holding her her child and thought to myself oh maybe this is you know maybe this can be real like maybe there is a space and time in which i can be a father right that i'll not be what it is that i have dared myself not to be but will be something completely different you know um that's beautiful yeah well, thank you for your time, Joshua. You call you referred to yourself as Josh in this interview at one point. Just want to let you know. Did I? Oh, that's probably what I'm like yelling at myself. Okay. It's <laughs> probably the critical voice. Mm. The, yeah, the critical <laughs> inner parent. Right, but if people, if if I if people, I ever introduce myself to people, I always say, um, people ask me Joshua, Joshua, and I always say that Joshua is the name my mother gave me. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. youngster. Well, this has been groovy. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Well, that wraps up Shit Show Saturday. As always, sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups, and it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Patreon.com slash adultchild. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at adultchildpod, and give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify, and I will see y'all shit shows on Wednesday. Bye! Bye!